now calling us to share with others. And I'm asking you today, are you willing? Am I willing? Somehow, we believe that reaching out to the lost is just for the chosen few, for pastors, ministers, and teachers. We just stand by watching, staying silent, listening in the pews, shrug it off as if it's not my responsibility. They say God created us so we could share this story of love, acceptance, of, of salvation. What's keeping us from sharing it? What, what's keeping me from sharing it? I think now is time to act, to say, I am willing. I am willing. <laughs> A simple three-word declaration that's easy to say, but hard to live out. See, see, willingness, it takes faith. Even when we don't feel brave, equipped, or ready, willingness is reaching out to our one, to reach out to our friend, to our neighbor, to my family member. We are equipped and made for this. Christ died for us to share this story. God has prepared us for a time like this. Are you willing? Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for all of you who are watching online. We welcome you to Sugar Creek Baptist Church today and so grateful that you are a part of the service and for everyone on all of our campuses. Thank you for being here in person and a part of the service. I want us to stop for just a moment before we go further in the service. And I want us to stop and pray for those who are in Afghanistan today. I want us to pray for our soldiers in Afghanistan that are in trouble. I want to ask us to pray for Americans that are in many places in the country that are not sure how to get out of the country. I'm going to ask us to pray for the Afghanis, for those who have helped us, who have been a partner with us for the last 20 years, and for women that are facing a very difficult future. And I want us to pray for Christ followers that are there. I don't know how many missionaries that we have in Afghanistan, but I know we have some. And I don't know how many Afghanis that have come to know Christ as Savior, but I know that there are some. And I, the latest word I got on this is that people that are Christ followers in Afghanistan are just trying to go to some border, trying to get across some border to get to another country. Any country would be easier to, to handle than where they are right now. And so I want us to pray for God's help and God's blessing with this. Lord, we come to you today and oh God, we pray that you would move in this moment. We pray that you would protect our soldiers, that, Father, you would bring them all, every one of them, safely home. We pray, Father, for those who are Americans in many places in the country. They've been cut off. They're not sure how they can get out. And I pray that you would help them, Father. I pray that you would rescue them. I pray, Father, for all of those Afghanis who helped us for these last 20 years, that you would protect them, that you would be with them. And I pray for the women that are 
there that face a very difficult future. I pray for the Christ followers who are there. Oh God, thank you for the missionaries who had the courage to go in the hardest, one of the darkest places in the world. And I pray that you would protect them and get them out of the country safely. And I pray for all of these precious people that have come to know Jesus as their savior, that you would help them escape what will be certain death if they don't. And I ask that you, Father, would help them. Move in that place. Be resident in that place and demonstrate your strength and power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first semester of my doctoral study at Southwestern Seminary, on one early Friday afternoon, all of a sudden, one of the pastors in the room was called out. Sam went out. About 15, 20 minutes later, he came back in and he said, uh, let me tell you what's going on. He said, a member of my church has just been killed in a car, uh, in, in a motorcycle uh, and truck accident in Dallas. And uh, I am going to go spend some time with his family. And I'm asking you to pray for the family and pray for the truck driver that hit him and pray for those who were involved that God would use this moment. And so Sam left. This was early afternoon on Friday. Well, the weekend came Saturday, Sunday. On Monday, we were back in, in class. And in one of my other classes early morning on, on Monday, another pastor said, guys, something happened this weekend. I got to share with you. I, I don't even know how to, to, to uh, understand everything that's a part of it. But he said, what happened is, is that a member of my church is a, a apartment manager and he sees his ministry ministry, uh, his job as a ministry. He, he uses his job to be a witness to other people and people that are residents in that apartment complex. And he, he invites people to church. He shares Christ faithfully with other people. He really sees his job as a ministry and God has shown him how to do that. And he said he has shared Christ with many people. There, there was one particular guy that he had invited to church. The guy said to him, no, he had told him about Christ. I'm not interested. I don't even know if there is a God and he totally rejected it. But he said on Saturday morning, that guy, Saturday morning, that guy came into the, this manager's office where he was and, and he closed the door behind him and he said, would you do me a favor? Would you tell me one more time how I can know Jesus Christ as my savior? Well, the apartment manager said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. And he shared, Christ came to the earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, rose again from the grave. He offers us the gift of eternal life. And if by faith you would give your heart to Jesus, accept him, he'll come into your heart and save you. And right then and there, that man that had come into his office got on his knees and prayed and accepted Jesus as his savior. Well, after he had done that, this apartment manager, this member of this pastor's church said, I am so grateful for what you just did, but I don't understand it. In the past, you've rejected everything that I would talk about with God, said you don't even know if you believe in God, but now you're asking, how can you be saved? So what was it that turned this whole thing around? And the man said yesterday, on Friday afternoon, it was early afternoon and I was in Dallas and, and the traffic was just wall to wall. And he said, 
Uh, there was a, there was a uh, guy that was in front of me that was on a motorcycle and he said, I, I, I was just pacing him. And all of a sudden there was a truck that to the side of him, I know he just didn't see him. He bolted over. He didn't see this young man on his, on his motorcycle. And he said he hit that motorcycle and he knocked the man in the motorcycle off of the highway into the side of the road. And when I saw it, I had to stop. I had to do my best to help him. But when I got to this young man, I couldn't believe my eyes. That collision had caused both of the legs of this young man to be severed from his body and one of his arms to be severed. And he was just laying there and he was bleeding to death, but he was fully conscious. I could see his eyes. He, I could see he knew I was standing there. And I said to him, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help you. And this young man said to me, sir, you can't help me. I'm going to die. But I can help you. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. I want to tell you what Jesus has done in my life and how he has blessed me and how he has given me a life worth living. And now I'm going to go to heaven and it is because of Jesus Christ. And this man said, I stood there. I could hardly believe my ears as he is telling me about how I could know Jesus as my savior. And then his voice grew weak and his eyes closed and he was dead. And he said, I can't get the scene out of my eyes, out of my heart, my mind. I cannot stop hearing the words. I couldn't sleep all last night. And all I know is that I want what this young man had. This morning, we're beginning a new series entitled, Who's Your One? Who's your one? What does that even mean? Who's your one? I want you to remember the parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 15. Jesus said in the parable, in the story, that there is a man who is a shepherd and he has a hundred sheep. And he was a good shepherd. He took care of his flock. And, but one day he's counting the sheep and he discovers he's only got 99. One has wandered away. And so he leaves the 90 and nine. Now we understand, we are assuming one man can't take care of a hundred sheep. There are other shepherds with him. And so he leaves the 99 with the other shepherds, but he goes out to find that one that is missing. And he goes out the highways and byways. He goes everywhere. He checks everywhere. He keeps looking. He can't find the, the, the sheep. And then suddenly he sees it and he goes and he grabs this sheep that has wandered away and he puts the sheep on his shoulders and he carries the sheep all the way back home. And when he gets back, everybody celebrates. There's a party. The sheep that was lost has been found and has been returned. And Jesus said, this is exactly what happens every time a person comes to know Jesus as Savior. It's a wandering sheep and all of heaven has a party because this lost sheep, this lost one has come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you today, who's your one? 
Who's your one? You have someone in your life. Maybe it's a member of your family or your extended family. Maybe it's someone at work and you know that person is far from God. Maybe now we're back in school. It's someone in one of your classrooms and you know this person is far from God. Maybe it's next door neighbor. Maybe it's some friend that you've met. Who is your one? For the last 18 months, Sugar Creek has been doing what every other church probably in the world, but especially in the United States have been doing. We have been in crisis mode, in survival mode. Our whole emphasis for the last 18 months has been helping our church. What can we do? We need to learn how to do church online, not just worship online, but every part of church online. We had to rethink everything that we did. We worked hard to do that to the best we could, but we learned things we did not understand about ministry that now is opening up a new door, a new understanding of how we can reach other people. But then we began to come back. We're already now back to 70% of our pre-COVID attendance. It's great. People are coming back. Eventually, we will all be back. During the time, we were trying to help people. People lost their jobs. We, we helped them with their rent and helped them with food. People, so many people without food. This church gave 100 million, 100 million, 100 thousand gave a whole lot of food for people that were in great need. We just poured out food for people that were in need and all trying our best to do what we could in crisis mode of helping people all around us. But there is a day to get back to who we are. There is a day to get back to who Sugar Creek Baptist Church was before this pandemic hit. This church is not an inwardly focused church. We've had to be over the last 18 years, uh, 18 months. We had no, no choice. But now we've got to go back to being who we are as Sugar Creek Baptist Church, an outwardly focused church. Inwardly focused churches die. Inwardly focused churches, it's just about us. It's about what we want. It's about taking care of us. You better take care of us. Forget all those people out there. Those kinds of churches plateau and die. But churches where God blesses are churches that are outwardly focused. Who can we reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And this is Sugar Creek Baptist Church. We have a purpose. And would you say that purpose with me? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. That's not an inwardly focused church. That is an outwardly focused church. And we know who we are, and we've got to get back to doing that. We've got to get back to inviting people that we know that are far from God. Who's your one? Who is the one that God is speaking to your heart to bring into a relationship with him? On September the 12th, three Sundays from now, we are doing something very special. It is the grand opening of the Richmond Rosenberg campus. Richmond Rosenberg's been open for a whole year. And now, one year later, we're having a grand opening. Only in a pandemic could something this weird happen. 
But our church is thriving. Our campus is thriving at Richmond Rosenberg. And now we're going to celebrate. We're inviting the entire region to come and be a part of the Richmond Rosenberg campus. But at the same time we're doing it, all of our campuses are having this time of celebration. We're calling it Fam Fest, Family Festival, in which we are inviting all campuses. We're wanting to invite as many people to our particular campus that are far from God. And when we do, we're, it's going to be the most fun you've ever imagined for kids. are going to have an amazing time, a fun time. It's great for the families. And there will be a presentation, simple, clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's already speaking to Kathy and my heart. We know three families that we're going to invite. We've already invited one and they said, yes, we'll come. Don't invite people that are members of other churches. How does that bless the kingdom? No, invite someone in your life who is far from God and invite them to come to Sugar Creek and be a part of the 12th. But not just September 12th, any Sunday. So where is this idea coming from? Well, the Bible says, Jesus giving us this passage of scripture that is found... <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and notice what he says. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. They may see how you are living out your Christian life in an everyday fashion and bring glory to your heavenly father. This passage of scripture brings to us a desperate question we've got to ask. And it's simply this, what is being light? What does being light have to do with us? Jesus said that we are light that God is wanting to use to shine in the darkness. The Bible describes the world to be in darkness. It doesn't take any problem at all for us to, uh, to acknowledge the world is a dark place and getting darker, it seems, by the minute. The United States is growing darker, it seems, by the minute. It is not hard for us to understand. There is darkness everywhere. This is what the Bible is assuming, that if we are the light of the world, it means the world is in darkness and is in need of the message, the truth that we have. Listen to how the Bible puts it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. With the Lord's authority, let me say this, live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. Could there be a better description of the United States over the course of the last many years. We are hopelessly confused. Their closed minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and they have hardened their hearts against God. Who do you know at your school that this is the right description of them or in your neighborhood, your next door neighbor or someone that you work with. Jesus made this statement in John chapter 12, verse 46. I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me will stay in darkness. 
Jesus is the light of the world. He came to show us how we can know God, how we can leave the darkness and come into the light. And then Jesus said in this passage in Matthew 5, 14, now you are the light. You see, I came into the world as the light and I have shined in your heart. And now I've lit the flame in you. And now you join me. We are the light of the world. Listen to how Paul said it. He said in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Paul said, God has called me to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Part of the purpose of you, of your life, Part of the purpose of every person's life that knows Jesus Christ as Savior. Part of the purpose, the reason God put us here was to be a light for those who do not know him. There are all kinds of things that you could identify in your life, your purpose related to your kids and your family and your job and other things. But one of the things that God intended is for everyone who comes to know Jesus Part of our purpose in life is to share that light of Jesus with someone else to bring them out of darkness and into the light. On Christmas Eve, candlelight service, we have two, three, depending on the year, this last year too, but we were having three, and that's just in the Sugar Land campus, all the other campuses, separate ones. At that moment, it is the most beautiful demonstration of what God is telling us to do and to be. On Christmas Eve, we're singing the songs about Jesus coming and uh, the wonderful Savior who has come into the world, been born as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. All the while that we're doing that, right back here in this part uh, 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 of the stage is a Jesus candle. That's what we call it just internally. It's a Jesus candle. It's lit the entire service. There is a part at the, toward the end of the service that, that I bring my family up to the platform and introduce my family to everybody. And then, and then uh, the lights go down and I go to the Jesus candle and with my, my candle, I light my candle and now my candle is lit from the light of the world. And I come and I light the candles of all the members of my family on this, on this stage. This is what we're to do. We're to reach out to people in our homes and our family and our extended family who don't know Christ. Help them to come to faith in Christ. And then my family comes down and all those who are stationed there, we light their candles. And then they go up the aisles and they light the first person's candle. And the other person that, that gets their candle lit turns to the person next to them and lights their candle, who's your one? And lights their candle, all of this symbolic, I have come to know the light of the world. He has changed my life, he has set aflame my heart and my love for God, and I've accepted Jesus as my savior. And now my job is to help someone else who doesn't know Christ come to know him. And as you see what happens in the room, it just starts with one, one light, and then two, and then more, and then it just fills the room with light. And that is what God is talking about. All around us is darkness, but there can be light if those who have the light will share the light with someone else. Who's your one? Who's your one? And here's my question, are you willing? 
Are you willing to be who God has called you to be? You are the light of the world. The next question's gotta be asked is simply this, why should we care? I hate the, 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 the idea that I even have to ask the question, but I gotta ask the question, I gotta answer the question, why in the world should we care anyway? Because the Bible says that a person who dies without Christ spends eternity in hell. Jesus himself said in John chapter three, verse 18, whoever believes in him, meaning himself, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe, has not believed in the name of God's one and only son is condemned already. Those people that we know that are far from God have already been condemned. And if they die in this state, they will spend eternity in hell. This is what the Bible teaches. And it may be you and I are the only one in their life between now and spending eternity without God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into hell, into the lake of fire. I know we hardly ever hear anything of the word hell being used other than by a cuss word. But the Bible teaches that this is true. This is real. It is as real as heaven. There is a real hell. And Jesus, in one of his stories, explained it, talked about it, explained what it is like. It's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Jesus described a place called hell. Now, we don't know whether this was a made-up story, a parable, or it was a real story because he didn't tell us. In every other place in parables, he says, now, I'm about to tell you a parable. It's a made-up story, but to illustrate a truth. But he didn't say that in this story. It's very possible these two are real people who lived a real life and ended up in this very situation. There's two people. He only identifies one of them. There was a rich man who had a giant house and all kinds of land and property and people that took care of it. And, and, and he's just simply called the rich man. And there was a poor man and Jesus identifies his name. His name is Lazarus. And he was poor because he couldn't work. He was crippled. He couldn't work if he wanted to and he would have wanted to if he could have, but he couldn't. And he had no one. He had no one that could provide for him. All he had was someone who at least would lay him at a place where he could beg or sit him there. And so he picked, you got to pick if you're a beggar in first century, nobody's going to take care of you but you. And you got to be in the right place to beg. And he picked a spot at the gate of the rich man's house. And he picked it probably because there were a lot of people that came and went from there and he would have an opportunity to get uh, people that would give him money as he begged. But also because oftentimes the rich man would allow the leftover food to be given to him so it kept his body and soul together. And there every morning he was set 
and begging all day long. Someone would come and get him, take him back to his house at night. But there, that was his life. And Jesus said the day came in which Lazarus, the poor man, died. And when he died, Jesus said he went to heaven. He didn't go to heaven because he was poor. He didn't go to heaven because he was having a hard life. He went to heaven because he loved and trusted in the promises of God. And then... The rich man dies because here's the truth. It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter how little we have, how much we have. It doesn't matter what our situation is. One day we're all going to die. And the day came in which the rich man died. And Jesus said when the rich man died, he went to hell. He didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because he had refused the love and the promises and the the instructions of God. He had turned his back on God. And Jesus is describing what the rich man is going through in the story. There is a desperate need that we have to understand the validity of this place we call hell. There are some who believe that it is an invention of preachers to try to coerce people to get saved, but it is right there in the Bible. And in fact, Jesus talks more about hell than any other person in the entire Bible. And in fact, Jesus talks three times more about hell than he talks about heaven. And as Jesus is describing it in the passage, and you bring other passages in the Bible that talk about this place, here is the description. First, hell is eternal. The person, individuals that go to this place never get out. There is never an end to them. There is no annihilation. They are there and they exist forever. Revelation chapter 14, 11 says, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. And there is no rest day or night for those. They are forever in this place. Hell is a place of fear, of horrible fear. Hell is a place of pain. Jesus described it as constant Torment. He called it the gnashing of teeth, like being in pain and grinding your teeth. A place of constant torment. It is a place of sadness because you remember all the opportunities that you had to know God. Oh, I was invited to church. No, I'm not going there. I don't even know if there's a God. I don't want to go. No, I'm not going. Or times that you went and you heard the, the gospel preach and you said, no, I reject that. I don't want that God in my life. We, the people that are there will hear, they will see on a constant basis the opportunities they had. I drove by the church. I felt a pull. I need to go. No, I didn't. I was invited by someone to come to know Jesus as my Savior. No, I'm not interested. It is a place of memory, of sadness. It is a place of separation. Separation from the love of God, from from the peace of God, for all that is good and all that is true about God. All of these are the descriptions the Bible gives. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, Mark, what are you doing? Trying to scare us today? Yes, yes, I am. And some are saying, you're talking to the wrong people. 
We all know God. We all have given our heart to Christ. You're talking to the wrong people. Save that for September the 12th when all these lost people come that we invite to church. No, we are hearing, we are the right people to hear the story, the understanding about what hell is is like because the truth is it will take an understanding of what will happen when we don't do anything to hopefully wake us up and get us off our backside and say, oh God, use me. Oh God, I am willing to do what you have called me to do in sharing Christ with someone who's desperately lost. I heard the story of a few weeks ago. I don't even know who this pastor is, but he was telling the story that he had a vision of of hell. It's not a death, one of these uh, near-death experiences. He said, it was just a vision that God took me through, scared me to death. I'll never forget what I experienced. And maybe the truth is every one of us need that same vision to motivate us. I'm told today that six or seven, between 60 to 70% of teenagers in America have not, don't know much about who Jesus even is. They know he's involved with some religion. Beyond that, the only time they use his name is to cuss. But know almost nothing about Jesus. My question to you is, are you willing to take up I am the light of the world and you are the light of the world. And to find that one in our life that desperately needs Jesus as Savior because if they don't come to know him, Jesus has described what is coming. And it leads me to the last question. What should we do? What should we do? He says in Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16, you're the light of the world. He said, he said, on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a, a lamp and put it under a basket. No, you put out for everyone to see. Verse 16, so, so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What is Jesus's point? He is saying, I didn't make you the light of the world for you to hide out. I want you to step up and shine. Turn on the light. Stop being intimidated. Stop putting it it on somebody else's job. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to be some secret disciple. Shine. Let others know that are far from God how they can come to know the God that can change their life. Shine. How is it that we do it? We shine by breaking out of our exclusively Christian circles. And I would imagine that there are some in the room that say, look, I don't even know any lost people. Everybody I know, all my family is saved. I just hang around church people. I don't even know people that are lost. But the truth is we do. If we'll stop and think, the truth is we do. That's why I'm saying we've, my wife and I, we've identified three families we're inviting because we do intersect their lives and one have said yes there are people that you are intersecting at your job at school next door neighbor you have some relationship with somebody who is blessing you helping you in some fashion and this is the moment to invite that person to come to know Jesus Christ to come to church we shine by being real 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, do all that is to be done without complaining or arguing that you will shine in the world like bright stars as you offer it the word of life. He's simply saying, start acting like a Christian. Start acting like a Christian. You know Jesus is your savior. Then begin to live this life. Start acting like Jesus. We all screw up. We all mess up. Don't act uh, holier than thou. When you mess up, fess up. Get it right. Confess what you've done. But get your heart back right with God and live for him. Strive to do your best to live for the Lord. And love people in your life that know God and love people that are far from God. Love people that don't know God. They don't live the life that, that of Christ. They don't live the way the Bible says to live. Instead of shunning them, instead of pushing them away, love them. Love people that are living far from God. Don't you remember the Bible teaches that Jesus was called a f- friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. Why is it? Because he genuinely loved them and they knew it. And they loved him back. But in the process of loving them, he did not compromise truth. Not one iota. He still taught truth. He still lived truth. But he so loved them in the midst that they were drawn to the gospel. A few years ago, as I pastor this church, and our church is so wonderfully changed and, and so evolved, and as God has been leading our church, and I've asked God so many times, God, show me how to pastor this church, so different from any church I've ever pastored. Help me, teach me, help me to better pastor this church. And I'm praying for that on a regular basis. And one day, as I was reading the John chapter one, and I came to verse 14, it just hit me like a bolt of lightning, it would just grab me by the throat and said, this is exactly how you do it. He says in John chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You see who Jesus is? Jesus is full of truth with a capital T. He is full of grace with a capital G. Mark be that. Lead this church to be full of grace and full of truth. When churches, when, Christ, God, when, when people that claim Jesus as their savior are full of grace with a capital G, but a little T or no T at all, compromising the word of God somehow being compassionate of others and compromising God's word. They're like a medicine bottle with no medicine. They can't help anybody. They can't lead anybody to know Christ. They've already compromised his word. But when people are full of truth with a capital T, but a little G or no G at all, they're just mean. Yeah, you tell me the truth, but but you're just a mean person. And I guarantee you can talk to many people who are far from God and when the word Christian comes up, yeah, I know who Christians are. They are just mean people. But God says, I want you to be capital T and capital G. 
I want you to be full of truth and never compromise it. I want you to be full of grace and never compromise it. Grace is just as much a part of the word of God as the capital T. And somehow we are to love people unconditionally and love them into relationship with Christ. We are to live out this life. I don't care how you're living. I don't care what you think. I, I will love you. I will treat you respectfully and kindly. I will operate my life with a capital T and with a capital G. We shine by being real Christians. Third, we shine by verbally sharing Christ. And for many of us in the room, it means that we invite someone to church. Maybe it's September the 12th. It gives an excuse for you to invite someone. Oh, you got to come. Your kids are going to love this. It's going to be all the things that we're going to be having. And we'll give you the list as, as we get closer. Come to the September the 12th. It's going to be a ton of fun for you and your family. And in that service, I will also share lovingly and gently and kindly and and clearly how a person comes to know Jesus as Savior. But for some, God brings us to a place to be able to share how can you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And many of you have already been trained to share your faith. And if you haven't been trained, we are bringing an opportunity to share your faith this Saturday of learning how to be trained to share your faith with others. Pastor Clint Smith is the campus pastor at the Missouri City campus, and he's just a great guy. He's a great leader, godly man. He and Ashley are just wonderful leaders there at the Missouri City campus. And he told me the story, a real story, a, a true story about a guy that, that he knew. And this guy had a next door neighbor that was far from God. The guy was just new in the country. He's from Turkey. He had, had come here from Turkey and didn't know the Lord. And, and it, boy, it sounds like the Sugarland area, we, we see that all the time. This guy was just far from God. And so his neighbor who knew Jesus, part of their church, he invited the guy to church. And the guy said, I don't even know if I believe in God. I'm not going to come to a Christian church. I'm not going to do it. I said, okay. This guy kept being his friend. And one day the man and his wife had an idea. Let's invite their family over for dinner. And what we're going to do is that we will cook a Turkish recipe. Not cooked turkey, but a Turkish recipe. Learn what a good recipe was, and then we'll get Turkish music, and they even bought a Turkish flag. And so when the people came over, rang the doorbell, they walked in the house, they could smell the aroma of food that they recognized from their, their homeland and, and heard the sounds, the music, saw the Turkish flag. They said, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And they said, because we just want to say to you, we're so glad you're here. We just want to be your friend. That's it. Well, they had a great meal together and the friendship just went into overdrive and they were doing things for each other, helping each other. And at a right moment, at a, a right time, he said, hey, we would always, we always want you to come to our church. We'd love it if you come. And did you know they went? That man and his wife and their kids went to the church. And when they went to the church, they liked it better than they ever thought they would. And they, they kept going back. And six months later, they accepted Jesus as their savior and they were baptized. It was a whole, a whole thing that happened. 
but it, it was someone who didn't stop. It was someone who loved this person far from God. And my question to you is, who's your one? Who's your one? That God has brought you in to intersect their life. Are you willing to say yes to God? Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and oh God, we need the truth from your word. God, I pray you would move in our hearts, open up our hearts, get us back as a church, as a whole, back to reaching people with the gospel of Christ, caring about our lost neighbors and friends and others in our life, and use us to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we are willing. Maybe nervous. Maybe not quite sure what I'll say. But you'll give it to me. You'll help me. We are willing. Would you use us? We pray as the light. The light of the world. In Jesus' name. Amen.